by film, five, stand by music, four, stand by announce. Three, two, one. And fade out. It's the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. You're a wizard, Harry. Open your eyes. Now tell me, where are the others? Eat me! <laughs> King Kong ain't got on me! What about second breakfast? Why not? Why can't I? How can we be expected to teach children to learn how to read if they can't even fit inside the building? Let's do it. Let's do it. So welcome, 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 one and all, to a brand new likely very long episode of 20 years four beers a podcast dedicated to rewatching movies from two decades ago while simultaneously enjoying a minimum of four modern beers my name is steve and this is my big brother tim and we are coming to you from just outside of no we're in just within within minneapolis we're coming proper. to you from you know minneapolis minnesota uh, I say likely very long because on this episode we are rewatching an absolute classic of a fantasy film Discussed for years in film circles and winning all kinds of awards. 2001's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And yes, we are watching the extended edition. It seems very fitting that in a year where we covered many franchise starters or first films, Ocean's Eleven, Fast and the Furious, Legally Blonde, Shrek, Monsters, Inc., Zoolander, and Harry Potter. (laughs) That's right. We would end that streak with this film. Even though both of us consider all three of these films as one unit, but that can be discussed later. Yeah. Uh, For those of you who have literally been frozen in carbonite, wait. Wrong franchise. Wrong wrong franchise. Uh, For the last 50 years uh, and have never heard of this story, The Fellowship of the Ring follows a small group of characters, including hobbits, dwarves, elves, wizards, and also men, who set out on a journey to destroy a mythical ring that is imbued... That's great. Yeah, that's, nice. yeah, yeah, that's right. good. I wrote that myself. Mm-hmm. With the supreme power of the Dark Lord Sauron. Along the way, they must overcome evil orcs, betrayal of those they trust, their own internal struggles, and one huge ass, badass of a beast, the Balrog. Eventually, they must make a choice. Do they stay together or separate in an effort to best protect their leader, de facto, or their de facto leader, Frodo Baggins, and save the whole of Middle Earth? I will take it! I will take the ring to Mordor. No. I do not know the way. I will help you bear this burden, Frodo Baggins, as long as it is yours to bear. If by my life or death, I can protect you. I will. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. The film is directed by Peter Jackson, written by Jackson, Fran Walsh, and Philippa Boyens. It stars many now household names, who we forget were not at the time, Yeah, 20 years ago, including Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Vigo Mortensen, Orlando Bloom, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, Liv Tyler, Sean Bean, 
John Reese Myers, to name just a few. Uh, I'm certain this will lead to many, but what are your initial memories of uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring? This was one that, as I think back to the movies we watched this year again, I think Memento was another one. This is probably our only other one that we watched in the theater together. Yeah, I would think so. I remember seeing this and being completely blown away. Like, it was a movie that yeah, had been Christmas talked about. Yes. Yep. I think we saw it with Andy Davey. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. And I couldn't believe that they executed on it because I just finished – I never read the books growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, I finished the first book because I wanted to read the book prior to seeing it to see – it was a good translation. Um, and I think I finished the first book maybe a month before this. Mm-hmm. And it was unbelievable to me that they were able to accomplish all that they did. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. I just remember walking out being completely floored by how amazing this movie was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about you? And our shared experience – um, yeah, I guess my, my biggest memories actually are more about the lead up to it. Cause, um, I never read the books. I, I, even now I've barely even read them. I've always just sort of like looked through them, you Spoiler, know, working. They're a bit slow. <laughs> yeah. Working at a bookstore for all those years, I obviously read through them, but sure. at that time I, it was not my genre of books totally. by any means. Um, and I remember, I remember the first trailer a year prior. Yes. Right. And it was talking about how, you know, December of 2001, December of 2002 and all this stuff. Yes. And they were coming over the the ridge. And I was like, what the F is this? Yeah. Like, I was like, I'd never really heard of, I, growing up, I knew of The Hobbit, of course. And they had done like. The animated movie. Plays in the movie. And, and, and so that was more popular. Yes. And, and I think even schools read The Hobbit and stuff like that. Or sure. at least. And so. And I was like, what is this? This yeah. is dumb. Like, yes. I just, you know, but then as it got closer and you hear more about it and how they did it and you're just like, okay, cool. And I remember Fox had like a, the, uh, a scene, like a, a preview scene. And it was of, in the Mines of Moria where the, the orcs all like attack them. And it yes. was on Thanksgiving day or something like that. Or it was, it was some sort of like scene and I recorded it. And I remember watching it on VHS, of course, of course, like weeks up into that movie. And like, this is amazing. Just seeing that, that scene. Huh. It was, it, well, it was, yeah, it was when they find the dead king. Yep. Right. And then they battle the orcs. And once the cave troll comes in. So it yes. was about a 10 minute clip. Oh, wow. It was really cool. It was like a special sneak preview. Wow. And, you know, I, I just, I, that's what I remember more than even seeing in the theater. Yes. Of just that sort of excitement leading up to it, so that that's what I really remember, and of course, nice. loving it in the yeah in the theater, it was incredible, seeing it multiple times, etc. So, when's the last time you watched it? This year, <laughs> <laughs> yesterday. No, so so wow. my son and I during the pandemic. So it was probably late last year, earlier this year. We watched gotcha. the first two. We're halfway through the third, and I can't quite get him to get there. And we did watch the extended edition too. So sure. like, my kid is like. Uh, three and a half hours for the first movie, yeah. and I'm like, trust me, you'll like it. And we finished it, and we watched the first one in one sitting, nice, was, which was awesome. Um, so it was I, it was earlier this year, but prior to that, I, I probably watch it, you know, every year or two. Um, this is one of my favorite franchises. So, and, and do we talk about the extended edition now or in the reaction segment? We'll probably talk about in the reaction. I mean, I, I should think. say I should say what my also initial memory was when it, we saw it in the theater, and then. This was when I was just starting to get into buying DVDs. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to wait for it to come out on DVD. And then I think we saw the notice that, oh, hey, this is going to come out on an extended director's cut with like 45 minutes mm-hmm. of extra stuff. I was like, are you kidding me? And they really, and then releasing it in theaters. Yes. At some point. That right. was unheard of to me at right. the time of not just the cool, like maybe 10, 15 minutes. 
it's essentially going to be another mini movie added mm-hmm. to it and i was just amazed that they were taking this huge risk so yep. yeah um yeah so our first segment then i guess aside from that as usual is drinking buddies come on not my beer where we present the four beers we will be enjoying hopefully this episode and since we love beer here Mm, at 20 slash 4 we refer to them as our buddies given that we are about to embark on our longest film so far and longest until the extended edition of two towers next (laughs) year this four might wind up being more than that might be but we'll start with that so tim who are are our drinking buddies Tonight, we're going to start with, out of San Diego. San Diego. California. Uh, Thorn Street Brewing, nice. which is just one of our favorites. It's great. Yep. Um, I was there last week. Uh, oh, again. Oh, cue the cue. Uh, their Thai Pina Colada Smoothie Sour. We're going to start is that. Is it Thai as in T-H-A-I? Yes. Okay. All right. Yep. Exactly. Not T-I-E. Thank right. you for clarifying. And the rest that we have of the four. Yep. And we, you know, determined in, you know, honor of a trilogy, start of at least, we're going to have three theme beers. Love it. From Bad Habit Brewing out of St. Joseph, Minnesota. Their King's Brunch. Love it. What, what about, about second breakfast? breakfast? Which in many ways, that would be a second breakfast. I love it. It's their Imperial Pastry Stout with uh, Imperial Milk Stout with cinnamon and maple syrup. 10%. This looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the can looks awesome. All right. We're going to enjoy that. And then after that, uh, <laughs> I love you, bro. This is so great. Bearded Iris Brewing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Not the beard. Not the beard! Out of <laughs> Nashville, Tennessee. Their home style, sorry, double home style, double IPA. Mm-hmm. So we're going to enjoy that. And then Modern Times out of San Diego. Again, I can mention, I was just there last mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Congrats to me. Uh, modern Times, their Monsters Park, <laughs> Imperial Stout aged in bourbon barrels with vanilla. Mm-hmm. So those are the three that we will be enjoying as our theme beer. But right now, we're going to start with... There you go. Our pina colada. Perfect. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Our next segment, then, is the social network. If you guys were the inventors of Facebook, you'd have invented Facebook. Where we take a look back at the critical and fan reception from 20 years ago. Uh, generally speaking, I believe this movie was pretty well loved and respected in film circles and certainly by fans. Uh, it did gross over $900 million worldwide at the time. Yikes. And I think there's just decades of love behind it. So it was pretty easy to find good reviews. Um, I my, my review, my one... You have, like, four. <laughs> um, thank you. Yes. My review is out of Empire Magazine. Colin Kennedy said, and, and I actually was pretty, I, I, I'm always impressed by reviews that are, like, looking back on it, you're like, you, you knew what you were getting into here. Because he starts his review by saying, history should quickly regard Peter Jackson's The Fellowship of the Ring as the first installment of the best fantasy epic in motion picture history goes on to say fellowship is also unabashedly rooted in the fantasy genre not to be confused with the techno cool of good science fiction nor even the cutesy charm of family fair like harry potter the territory of tolkien is clearly marked by goo and goblins and gobbledygook persons with an aversion to lines such as to the bridge of kazakh doom are as well to stay within the shire-like comforts of home 
at their loss. Wow. And I think while he did have some issues like the length and um, some breaks in the narrative sure. a little bit, um, overall, as expected, it was a uh, five stars for him. Nice. That's a good review. Uh, yeah. The highest rated movie that we've watched so far yeah. of all the podcasts we've done, uh, IMDb ratings 8.8 out of 10 yeah. which i the yeah i didn't take time to go look back but that's well above other ones we've watched oh, easily yep yep um and like you mentioned it's probably one of the rare movies as well where even though we do justifiably crap on rotten, rotten tomatoes the mm-hmm. audience score and critics score are essentially identical in the low 90 percent yeah I, I i mean this is this is one of those moments where i'm like rotten tomatoes is fine in this case yes it's well respected rotten tomatoes is bad when People get mad and they use it as a tool to get back yes. at studios and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But this or, is, yeah. Or, or bros getting mad at women speaking their mind. Bro. So, uh, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone said Fellowship of the Ring is the real deal. A movie epic that pops your eyes out, piles on thrills and fun, and yet stays intimately attuned to character. Hmm. Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle said, Mick, <laughs> Mick said, uh, watching the film, one can't help get the impression that everyone involved was steeped in Tolkien's work, loved the book, treasured it, and took care not to break a cherished thing in it. Uh, and actually had to, like I said, just having read the book, Justin finished it before I saw it, it did feel like they had done an incredible job. Yep. And of even the changes it. they do make are, well, which we'll talk about probably later, but from the book yes. are, are like by people who know the world. And it's like, it's not just, you know, some studio head who wanted to change something so yes i agree and then what <laughs> might be my most disappointing review that i've ever seen <laughs> is uh roger ebert's uh our big man raj three out of four stars so did recommend it ultimately yeah but if you read back through it it's kind of this i'll get to it here so ultimately the said the film will be embraced i suspect by many tolkien fans although instead of transforming the book Director Jackson has transmuted it into a sword and sorcery epic in the modern style, containing many of the same characters and incidents. But he starts his final paragraph of his review saying, that Fellowship of the Rings does not match my imaginary vision of Middle-earth is my problem, not yours. Perhaps it will look exactly as you think it should. We just talked about in a previous podcast about how annoyed I get with critics saying, it didn't meet my expectations. Mm-hmm. And pretty much the half first half of his review is him talking about I saw the movie and then I went back and reread some of the things and I found so many issues that I had with it because it didn't meet my expectation. Like the battle of the bridge of Khazad Doom. It's like 500 words. Oh my gosh. Like it was so annoying to me to watch this or read this and think about those critics that think I didn't like it because it didn't come to life as I thought it should. <laughs> Even though the irony is they brought in artists, specifically Alan Lee and John Howe mm-hmm. who worked on the original books mm-hmm. and created the, basically the tapestry of the movie Mm -hmm. from those. So it was, I was rather surprised at how like frustrated I got with Hmm. the late Roger Ebert seeing this review because I hold him in such a high regard. This is probably one of the laziest ones he's had Hmm. that I felt so annoyed of like, yeah, come on, man, get over yourself. This is incredible. Yeah. I imagine Tim researching it and being like, shove that Pulitzer Prize square up your ass, (laughs) Raj. It's like when the, but the funny (laughs) thing is, I think back to when he uh, reviewed Blow, Mm -hmm. he's like, take out all the drugs and it's a regular dude. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, diatribe over. Uh, Academy Awards. Yeah. It was up for 13 nominations. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Someone thought it might be easier to list the categories it wasn't nominated in, Mm -hmm. but for the sake of this, it was film editing, Costume design, art direction, 
Sound, Original Song, Adapted Screenplay, Director, Best Supporting Actor for Ian McKellen, and Best Picture. Mm -hmm. Ultimately winning four in Makeup, Original Score by Howard Shore, Mm -hmm. Visual Effects, understandably so, Mm -hmm. and Cinematography. Mm -hmm. So four out of the 13 it won. Hmm. And in two years from now, we'll talk about how it totally raked up completely. Yeah, except for Cinematography because it wasn't nominated that year. I know. It like won, we already it gave won it to you the, this year, but they're like, no, nah, no, nah. it didn't win because it wasn't up. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'll have to double check my <laughs> stats, but I'm pretty sure. Not like yeah. I went to bed mad that night. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, well, all right. Social network. So I don't know about you, but I am jacked to watch this. I'm jacked to the tits. Jacked jack to the tees. Jacked to the tees. Also, future FYI, there will be spoilers. So obviously. You know, yeah. watch it at this point. Um, so here we go on our epic journey. We will now rewatch 2001's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Hold out your hand, Frodo. It's quite cool. What can you see? Can you see anything? Nothing. There's nothing. Wait. There are markings. It's some form of elvish. I can't read it. There are few who can. The language is that of Mordor, which I will not utter here. Mordor? In the common tongue, it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them all. Well, welcome back, everyone, to 20 Years, 4 Beers. We have just finished rewatching 2001's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, first of a trilogy. Uh, and yeah, we'll just, I guess we'll just dive on in. We got three and a half hours of shit to talk about. So, top five, right? Top, top five. five. <laughs> so our next, so our normal first segment after this, our next segment then is our reactions segment that we call high fidelity. Top five side ones, track ones. Where we discuss our top takeaways of any kind from rewatching the film. I think this will be interesting because we have discussed these films yeah. for years and years, saw them together, whatever. And I just think yet yeah, never in the context of this sort of like totally podcast. So it's just kind of be interesting to what we have. So I'm pretty excited about that. You're excited. Feel these nipples. Uh what do you got? What like what's well, your first sort we, of takeaway? Well, it sounds like first, but yeah, we had commented at the beginning when it started, we both joked like might be hard to come up with notes because of how much we've seen the film. Yeah, I mean, and I got stuff written down, but I don't know if it's like, I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, like, how much can we reinvent the wheel? Exactly. So it's <clears throat> it's the, yeah, it's a fantastic experience of just, after a while, I stopped taking notes. I'm like, I just love this movie. Yeah, at some point. First thing, I just, <laughs> I just absolutely freaking love this movie. Yeah. It is so unbelievably good. Right. From start to finish. And we've talked about movies where we see and then maybe see like a prequel or something. And you feel like, well, it, it kind of loses some of the sense of peril because mm-hmm. you know, whatever's going to survive. So, you know, like spoiler, 
it's the first of a trilogy. This is always advertised as a three movie experience. So yeah, you yeah, know they're the going to survive yep. in many ways. But well, it's at least still, in this movie, you know certain people will survive. You don't know in the end. Sure, but from a, this movie standpoint, for but sure. even still, and having read the book, like you say, because I read. I got you know, time to read. <laughs> exactly, no, yeah. Well, I did before twenty years ago. But anyway, uh, it still is moving. Mm-hmm. It still is so incredible that it doesn't matter knowing what might come or the experience of these characters will continue on it it's a fantastic movie man mm-hmm. just just watching it again haven't seen it in probably six seven years or something mm-hmm. like that it's just a damn good movie yeah i i was struck at my reaction this time i mean i watched it with my son and in earlier this year or late last year or whatever. And that was sort of that moment of like, when we watched Jurassic Park or Star Wars for the first time, you're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, yeah. I'm just, it's a big deal for me. Yes. My kid's laying on the couch, like not paying attention and on his phone for half the time, but it was a big deal, you know? And, but like tonight, I agree. I think this movie, like I'm always floored watching movies like this yes. specifically this movie um it's just like a different level you know of movie yeah. making so yeah I, I i agree it's 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 interesting so like for me so yeah okay well we'll kind of maybe break some Whatever. Down here so yeah, just talk. The, well the first so one of the first things that came to mind was the first seven minute summary sure of the ring's history it's just incredible filmmaking, <laughs> yeah. like incredible. Right? There's succinct, like yet compact multiple books of yeah, information of all Tolkien's yep. world. Yep, crammed into just this Cliff Notes. <laughs> I say yep as if I've read them. Exactly. I'm saying oh, yeah. yep as if I, I, yeah. yeah. No, I'm agreeing thing. with yeah. you. I, I have read no Hobbit idea. and the right. Lord of the Rings. The other stuff, I ain't got time for that because it's just and even the but from a movie going accessibility perspective. Sure. We're going to give you a primer of the world you are entering if you're a novice. And so they do a great job of explaining like, oh, this is full fantasy, but it's still accessible even to the point of like having the map mm-hmm. put out there. So you can see and get a sense of like the scale of Middle Earth, this world, yeah. and the scope of the journey to come, which is a really great movie going trick right? of give you a primer of the environment, but also a landscape mm-hmm. that you can get in, uh, into. And then having the five minutes or so afterwards of Bilbo Baggins' voice over work explaining what hobbits are. Mm-hmm. But it's all through the guise of, I'm writing a tale as a like narrative or a historical document. Mm-hmm. That is such a, cause sometimes I get annoyed with kind of voiceover work. Sure. Where it's a kind of a lazy attempt to just explain things. But this was just perfect. Mm-hmm. In that, had you not have any idea what this world is about, give you a primer, give you a map, and then explain your entrance into this world mm. is the hobbits. And that is 10 minutes, 12 yeah. or whatever, of just perfect movie making, launching off a huge trilogy to come. And <laughs> I, I'm yeah. just amazed at that, really. Right. And um, I guess for me, well, I mean, the voiceover part too, I agree in that sense of, Sometimes voiceover work is like, don't tell me what I'm supposed to out. feel or whatever. Yep. But when it's at the beginning of a story, then you're like, oh, okay, this makes some sense. It's more um, exposition, or I think that's right. Yep. Yep. Um, 
it's more that kind of stuff of of explaining it. Yes. But I think there is an understanding in everyone that's like, this is a huge world that's been created. So five minutes of voiceover to explain is enough. Yes. That's it. I mean, that's that's all it is. Yep. And then off um, we go. Right. So I, I do think, um, for me, what stood out, maybe not number one or whatever, but it's just like the screenplay is really impressive because it does an incredible job. It takes a ton of information. Yeah. Not just from this book, the first book. Yes. But from the world that Tolkien built. Yes. Organizes it. It makes it make sense. Because True. from what I've read of the books, and I've not read probably all of them in one sitting or whatever, yeah. it's confusing AF yes. and boring and slow. Totally. So to be able to make that interesting and flow. Excuse me, flow? And one of the, the review I talked about I didn't, I didn't like read about it necessarily in my coverage on the first part was he, he says something along the lines of the same thing of you end up leaving after three hours in the theater yeah, and wanting more and not feeling like you've been yeah. bored along the way or whatever. Like, so the, that's all a testament to everything, but really the screenplay to be able to, to get you there and take all this stuff. Um, and then layering the drama, right? Yes. Like doing what, the old old school movie tropes do or whatever is you start small and you start building and you build and you build and you build and it just get bigger and bigger, 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 bigger. And that's what they do, right? Yes. You you've got the thing at the beginning that hooks you. Yep. Like any action movie does, right? Yeah. Mission Impossible does it all totally. the time. There's the opening, Bond does it too. <laughs> yes. Um but then it goes back to start small and just sort of builds. So screenplay is outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. To be able to condense down like 2000 pages over these three movies, but mm -hmm. to have it be accessible to a modern audience and compelling. <clears throat> what and, one adapted? Um, I'm assuming we talked about it. I, we've <clears throat> done original because Gosford, but yeah, adapted. original is Gosford. I'll look while you talk. Yeah. So as we were talking in the movie, the second thing that stood out was you, you kind of take for granted in some ways like this old school movie making that occurs in this movie, like the in-camera forced perspective sure. that they used between oh, the different size characters yeah. yep, yep. where you could be all in screen together, filming at the same time, different size sets that they might use or a uh, foreground background, probably just one of the most impressive things about this movie right? where you just experience it and it doesn't, yeah, there's, you know, effects and you can see it sometimes. But overall, I would say that not since I can't really think of another movie since Jurassic Park in the sense of combining live action mm. with computer graphics that was completely groundbreaking. And I remember sitting in the theater mm -hmm. thinking that of, you know, seven, eight year difference between Jurassic Park and this at right. the time where, and Jurassic Park is onto itself the most but they're very different and like this has the visual effects in this the you talk about forced perspective that's what's more impressive yes. the the visual effects still hold up oh totally 20 years later yeah, just like Jurassic yeah, Park still, yeah absolutely but what's really impressive is the is actually the non big cgi yes scene the trickery right that's what's really perspective or really impressive, impressive. 
like it's like when you go to Disneyland or Disney World and they have the forced perspective of the buildings to make them look bi- bigger yep. or whatever, and you're like, this is so simple from a mathematic equation standpoint, and yet all so all I have to do is have this actor stand closer to the camera and they look twice the size of this other person. <laughs> exactly. Well, why wouldn't we just do that? And they they do other times where they have edits and stuff, but yeah, it's it's really I I, I see where you're going though is. It's been eight, ten years at this point where they really meld everything together. Yes. In such a way. Because Jurassic Park just changed the game. It was the... T2 and Jurassic Park. I agree. True. Yes. Those two together at the early 90s just changed everything. Mm -hmm. This felt like the next step forward to me at the time. yeah. Of combining all the practical effects with the uh, digital effects and Weta digital like mm-hmm. unbelievable what they're able is to accomplish is it weta or do you have to say like weta <laughs> like, like a, a like a kiwi australian ex- australian ex- weta digital is it weta? austria <laughs> well then <laughs> good day mate <laughs> let's put another shrimp on the barbie anyway. i'm gonna go what time i'm gonna go weta yeah 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 but they and you're right they hold up watching the, i mean this earliest year we watched harry potter yeah, and you watch it and go. There's a troll battle, yeah, and it's straight garbage. Just yeah, yeah, terrible yeah. graphics. And this still holds up. Yeah, and then I can't wait till next year when we watch Gollum, and I still think Gollum holds up. Oh, twenty sure. years later. For oh, yeah. Graphics, it, it, but assuming we're still around doing this in two years, when we talk about Shelob, the spider, oh, God. versus the spiders from Chamber of Secrets. Yes, you're like okay. Yes. Yeah, there's a big difference, and this is all the same time. Yes, but that was the thing of just experiencing and watching of just the old-school practical yeah. effects were really, really impressive. Yeah, I I have written, too, of just, like, to me, this, but um, movies like this, but specifically this, is always an example of the best of movie-making movie magic. Like, yeah, if CGI existed like this, yes, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, they would have done the same kind of stuff. Like, it's taking everything you can do, a group of people get together and they say, What can we do? How can we make this world real? And they do it. And so, obviously, what X money years after whatever movie you want to talk about, yes, they're able to have all this stuff, and it is, it's the Storytelling, we talked about the screenplay, production, the visuals, the passion of the people involved yeah. comes through. It's all top notch. Like, it's all like movie making knowledge comes. All these people have said, I've done this for, like, Jackson had done this at that point for 20 years or whatever, but everyone involved, the Weta people. Yeah, Richard Taylor with Richard his Taylor, effects. Right, exactly. Unreal. And, um, I think Grant Major did the production design and, and all these people took everything they had learned over the years. Yes. And what was interesting is they took it because CGI, most of these people have been working in the industry for what, 20 years, 30 years or whatever. Sure. So they were working in an industry that they didn't have the CGI. Yeah. So now they come in and they say, okay, we're going to bring practical effects and we're going to marriage it with yes. CGI. So these people who have been doing this with no budget, low budget stuff, bring in and have all this relatively speaking huge budget yes it, it is it's it's to me it's movie making at its best when you just watch it and you're just like 
from the first scene, yes, you're like, oh, everyone involved in this is doing their absolute best work. Because you think about this time was also the same time that the Star Wars prequels were coming yeah. out. And you can compare, like, from a digital standpoint. Yeah, we will next year with Attack of the Clones. Exactly. But yep. you think about, like, just at the time, the movie-making mentality <clears throat> of what an experience could be like. And you can see not polar opposites, but variations of it that are really successful, mm -hmm. like this. And the prequels, where it felt so sterile <clears throat> and yeah, awful just i yes i i totally agree with you everybody brought their best for this and it totally works I yeah I, I, I mean yeah we can certainly talk about the prequels a lot but what this does is it brings a story mm -hmm. right versus the prequels which didn't no um yeah no it's it's I love it. I mean, I I don't it's not a perfect movie by any means because there's almost no such thing as a perfect movie, but you do say I sit down and watch this and you're just oh, you're just you wa you're washed over in yeah. you know the people who take this seriously. Yes. Everyone took it seriously. Actors on down to directors, writers, grips, etc. Yeah. So, it's really well, impressive. <laughs> Not to TMI, but we paused it to take a quick break, go to the bathroom, mm -hmm. re regroup on beers. Sure. And it, was, it was an hour and 10 minutes yeah. in. <laughs> it's like, I think we had quite a few. This, this should be like, our podcast should almost be titled like, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, a.k.a. Six P Breaks. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. But like, we're an hour and 10, and they crammed in so much right. in an hour and 10. And you can watch other movies that are maybe like an hour and a half and they don't sure. get near as much Oh, we have of sure. what they can cram in. And you're like, I'm a third away away <laughs> through this thing. Like, yes, I agree. So, um, yeah, yeah. One thing that we talked about and it hints at some, so the third thing for me was mm -hmm. they truly could have only made this story and filmed it all at once. I think to be it successful. In terms oh, of, yeah, yeah. Yep. like, when Gandalf at the beginning rides to Gondor, mm -hmm. to the library to learn about the ring's history, it's at the city that eventually is the final battle. Yes. In the third movie. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, but they had to know what that move or that city would look like for continuity's sake. And then you have the, you know, Sauron's Tower for the two towers. And you pointed out, as we were talking through, the tiny hint of a theme from a musical score standpoint that <laughs> yeah. really only yeah. comes in briefly for Boromir mm -hmm. that plays a huge part in the third movie. Mm -hmm. I mean, this yeah, only it, could yeah. have been successful with the approval of let's do it all together all at once. And I think that's what yeah. I think lends itself to, not to crap on the Star Wars again, but I think about... Oh, I'll crap on the another franchise, yeah. Star Wars, not the prequels, but the newer ones, mm -hmm. the three... Knowing there wasn't a consistent continuity designed, right? It was just like let's do three, yeah. But then they had a you could see it didn't work, right? Because you didn't have that through line. Oh, one of them worked. One of them did exactly. But this is such a great example of, you know, a huge risk and a huge gamble, and it pays off. Mm -hmm. And it only would have been successful by having the three film together. So yeah. I, I, it's an incredible start to this movie series. Yeah, I think um, I'm. Again, it's a passion project thing, right? Yes. Where um, I think about, speaking of, say, Orlando Bloom, um, mm -hmm. 
Pirates of the Caribbean did this, right? Mm-hmm. First one's I, first one's great. First one's it has totally no fun. business being that yeah, good. Yeah, it's totally it's fun. so good. But then they decide to film the next two simultaneously. Yep. And there it was a it was a cash grab. Plus you had actors had to all kind of you know you you had to make it work, and they forced you know square peg round hole situation, mm-hmm. and that is a big difference because had they say written the second movie, produced it, done it, realized how flawed it was, yes. they could have made changes. Whereas this, they didn't need to realize they didn't need to realize that because this is a a piece of literature that's been around for 50 years at that time yes you don't have to do that right so i i do agree though in a sense of there is i don't want to say no way but the first movie would have been probably this no matter what sure because it would have been the first movie right yep and i liken it to say like you see, like Ted Lasso, say for example, on the first season, yeah, they didn't know what they had. It was all everyone sort of yeah. making it work, and then afterwards, it's this huge hit, and you're like, "Oh, now we got money, and we got to do this." So it's a, it feels different, yes. And so for this, it is similarly like all of these films, which I assume we'll discuss in the next two years. They all feel the same because they were all made at the same time. It yeah. wasn't like we made this thing; it's a hit surprise now we have all this money let's go make another one yes say like pirates and you're like oh so you can't catch that lightning in a bottle and that's why something like this works so well yeah i I agree the the pirates franchise was like oh let's let's try and recapture that lightning experience you can't do that right and i think that's what sets us apart as a film for this discussion but also the trilogy as a whole is that they made it designed to be an overall experience right and so when people talk about like best sequels or whatever it is it's like this is a no this is all encompassing no it doesn't count I no agree. and actually and to be fair to most of those lists they don't list no two towers or return of the king yep. on that yes because they're not sequels it's all one story exists like this right that it was i mean even dune that we saw this year was yeah. always designed to be two movies but it was a risk of we're only gonna make the first and depending on the success, we'll make the second. Well, so we'll but, see what happens. It's probably same movie but going. Dune is one story. Oh, the, sure. The world has more books and stuff like that. But yes. what we're talking about. So even if they make it later on, and and time does pass in that, so it makes some sense to be able to let time pass yes. from producing it. It's just different. Yeah, it's just different. Yes. Um. All right. So the fourth thing I had was mm-hmm. I. I'm always amazed when, and we've talked in some of the previous podcasts about uh, swings and misses when it comes to casting. But <laughs> yeah, Viggo Mortensen, mm-hmm. easily the best casting decision in this film. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure Stewart wouldn't have been a better? No. Like, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, Stuart that. Townsend? Yes. Like, he, it's crazy to think that he was just chosen a second guy. Yeah, Stuart Townsend was there. Mm-hmm. Brought uh, No, not only there, he had been there for yeah, months. Yeah, they filmed. Right, yeah. He's yep. got he's too young. We got to get him out. And they called him up and be like, "Hey, living in Montana, Utah, mm-hmm. or whatever, come down to New Zealand for a ha- year and a half, right, and film this." And he's just un 
real at how yeah, good he thanks, is. Thanks, uh, Vigo's kid, because apparently his kid is the reason like he <laughs> sure. did it. So. D- do it, Dad. But right. But this time last year, or the movies we watched last year, we talked about you know seeing Kate Hudson in Almost mm-hmm. Famous, Hugh Jackman, X Men, even George Clooney in Old Brother, where it was mm-hmm. like you could see them becoming movie stars. Right. I do not have any recollection of Viggo Mortensen before this movie. No, he's in stuff, but no. I, but yeah. You, yeah, not to this level of, I mean, every other actor outside of maybe the Pippin, I had no context of who they were. From a male standpoint, you knew Kate Blanchett. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Right. But most of them I knew at some facet beforehand. I mean, right. Sean Astin, like all the main characters, I mean, hell, Ian McKellen was and in McKellen. X-Men. Like, yep. Yeah, you, you knew them in some capacity, Sean being the first guy that, you know, gets killed off and everything. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Sean Bean is, yes. has a murderous row of death <laughs> scenes under his belt. But this was the one that I don't remember ever seeing Mortensen before. And yeah. he is just a badass mm-hmm. all around. A little more caution from you. That is no trinket you carry. I carry nothing. Indeed. I can avoid being seen if I wish, but to disappear entirely... That is a rare gift. Who are you? Are you frightened? Yes. Not nearly frightened enough. I know what hunts you. Yeah, he's sympathetic, has a soft edge to him. Like, at the end, when he's telling Frodo, I would have gone into Mordor Mm -hmm. with you, gives him the ring, and walks out Mm -hmm. to a sea of Urukai, waiting there, and puts his sword up to his face like, Come on, MF. Yeah, I well, got it's you. That, like, um, yeah, yep. just unbelievable. But you see that with him earlier when they're at the, um, I forget the name of the the tower they're at, where he comes in and saves the day with the five uh, ring wraiths and kills them, mm-hmm. and or not kills them, but at least def- you know, mm-hmm. gets them out of there. That was such a great sense of they're in peril. Right, it truly is set in. But he is going to be your, you know your savior throughout Mm -hmm. Viggo Mortensen unreal in this. So good. Yeah. I I think the whole series ends up with a sort of like, how is Viggo not nominated, especially for return of the King. Exactly. Um, And we know why Ian McKellen was, because he's the old wise, whatever. And he's outstanding in this movie. Um, Yeah. I, I had like sort of a question of how do you movies like this? How do you pick a best part? How do you pick a best performance? It's really tough. And I think the best yeah. movies out there, there's not a weak link. Um, a- after this, we're going to talk about Gosford Park. Same thing. There's yeah. no weak link from an actor's standpoint. Sure. Like, oh, yeah, that guy. Without that guy, this would have been pretty good. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I, I think that's, and I do think Vigo is a big part of that in that arrogance. So for, for me, my favorite part, though, because I, I wrote that question, and a few minutes later, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Was when he denies Frodo with the ring. Yes. Closes his hand, says, I would have gone with you to the end. And you're like, that to me is why, like, Aragorn refusing the ring is, like, the best. What You know, there's the old adage of, like, the best leaders don't seek it, but when it seeks them out, they're ready for it kind of a thing. Right? And so... And that to me is Aragorn. That's his. That's his moment of understanding. Going forward, he actually is the person that's gonna. Assuming the ring gets destroyed, he's who's he understands his leadership. Yes. He's going to be the king. He, 
I think later they may try and make it something else. They try and make other moments be the thing where he accepts his destiny. Destiny. Yeah. That's it. That's yes. him denying yes. what his ancestors could not do. Boom. That's my favorite moment the, of the movie. And I love that that you talk about that because you think about Gandalf. So Frodo understands that this has been placed upon him and he is going to right. be a steward of this. And he not even placed upon him. Like so Gandalf or excuse me, um, Aragorn, it was sort of forced on him. I was born into this. Yes. Frodo sort of like walks into yes. this. What would you have me do? Right. Bilbo has this. And then he sort of, he's just doing it. And then at the Council of Elrond, he just says like, I will take it. I'm watching all these people. Something yeah. he wants this. Exactly. It's Fight literally it. a leader who says, I don't want this, but I'm the only one who can do it. Yes. But I love that Frodo in different variations throughout this movie Ask someone else to take it. Yeah. He gives it to Gandalf to take it. And Gandalf has a huge reaction to right. it. And Galadriel, same thing. Huge reaction to it. And yet, Aragorn has mm-hmm. this tiny reaction to it. Where he has given a moment. And, and even Boromir is like, I will take it from you. Yeah. yeah. Like that. But this is, I totally agree, to that level of Aragorn. Like, he's given this tiny moment where I could take this. Yeah. Here you go. It's and right it's there. just quiet. Yep. And just folds his fingers back and says, I would have gone to... It just... Yeah. No, he's great. Frodo? It has taken Boromir. Where is the ring? Stay away! Frodo! I swore to protect you. Can you protect me from yourself? You destroy it. So good. No, yeah, Vigo is good. I mean, not only is, is so <laughs> because we I'd never seen him before this. I mean, yeah, I had, but in small parts. And sure, stuff, but no, but not, not just for like who is this guy? Right, yeah, kicking ass, right, and yet like just killing me from a mm-hmm. emotional standpoint. And then when he comes in and saves the day for Boromir, oh <laughs> god, I love that scene too because then he um, kills the Urukai, Urukai bad guy. But it's not like a long, drawn-out battle. It's yes. literally like 30 seconds to exactly. 45. And he's just like, F this, man. I'm better than you. And he just takes it over. Yes, I, I, I got love this. I got this. Yep. The fifth thing, if we're keeping whatever track, um, is you and I grew up in loving like movie scores. Mm-hmm. And compositions and still do, still do. Yeah, it's always a thing of, and we've long talked about how many times a movie score can make or break a movie. Oh, sure, we've talked about it. Yeah, yeah. yep. But dear God, Howard Shore, Shore, man, yep. For this, what's surprising, I think, back to when I saw the film, was that before this movie, I honestly could not have said one film that he's composed that had a significant musical Mm -hmm. presence. Sure, and. Yeah, I we were watching it because we had 
a lot of time on our hands. Hmm. Uh, I kind of, I'm like, wow, I know I had had like, he's done stuff before, like Signs of the Lambs or Seven. or He was yeah. always kind of an ambiance type of composer, mm-hmm. I always felt. Sure. But there wasn't much that would stand out that you could ever see what that could be like. Mm-hmm. So when this came out and the score was, and still is, like jaw-droppingly good. Yeah. Um, for example, like, again, spoiler, Gandalf's death mm-hmm. at the Bridge of Casa Doom. gets me mm-hmm. always gets me and i knew going in he was gonna die you're talking about the death or when they're out when they actually leave the and death that sort of like and the the, when like the, the rocks female and that and the music comes voice. in yeah I agree. oh just the ethereal score mm-hmm. and the woman singing for that still gets me and it's right. just to the power of howard shore and so yeah. yep and but i love that, that what you talked about when we were watching it was the complexity that must have been involved of him having to be involved, think about the three movies that would be and what the themes might be, and he's working on that. But then he has a theatrical release, and then the extended release. Right. And so he's got to redo, well, not redo, but he's got to think through how he might have the Mm -hmm. cues, ends, uh, intros, outros for everything. And I just... Yeah, he won for this year for best score, and I think he won for Return of the King. We'll yeah. see. But definitely well, he, he did. Definitely deserves it. Everyone so. won for Return of the <laughs> That's King. That's true. They didn't they won lose. fourteen. Yes. So yeah. But he's and, but thirteen, yeah. But yeah. To come from a score like a scoring background that was fine. Did his yeah, job. Uh, yeah, there was never anything This is like John Williams level incredible. It's, it's his um What's his, I mean, it's his, like, masterpiece, yes. right? I mean, it is, because what has he done since then, really? Some. Yeah. But you're just like, okay, that's yeah, fine. Exactly. Um, right. So, because I, I was like, I mean, really, when you think about it, how many themes are there? The best music or movie scores and mo- movie composers might give you, well, a basic one will give you one or two themes yes. throughout the whole film, right? Yeah. And then, like, say, John Williams yes. or whatever, he'll give you three or four. And, I, I mean, John Williams is the best. But in this particular series, there are, like, uh, eight, like eight, a dozen, seven, eight, yes. nine themes. Yeah. 
world has a theme to yes. itself every so when you go back to Isengard with Sauron or yes. Saruman, excuse me, and there's that sort of like the 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 dark drums um, and the right um, exactly yes. and you know exactly where you are you don't even have to, you could be blind and you know like you're the, in like the freaking Isengard yes Obviously, the ethereal stuff when it comes to being the elves with the elves, and but even then, you know, Lord um, Elrond and when yes. Rivendell has a different one. They have different themes there, and then yes. Hobbit has or Hobbiton have yeah, its own shire. theme. And- So everything has its own theme, and they all have very unique sounds. Yes, it is. It is absolutely his opus of just saying totally. And, and I think that's why he won for this, and why he won for Return of the King, and for Song for Return of the King. Yes, and he deserves it. You're just like absolutely. this is yeah. I am. I wrote the same thing. I'm just like how how can you write that many themes? They're all recognizable to being Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we're humming them as they start. Right. Yep. yep. Yeah. Each it's just I don't know. I mean, I mean, you just go again. It falls back to everyone at the A game, right? At the beginning yes. of this, somebody had to have said, "Hey, Howard, Richard Taylor, you know what yeah. I mean? Whomever, we have to do this and do it. Like this is it. This is your moment. This yes. is the if you get this wrong." We fail. And there is some truth to saying if any one of the things we've talked about so far were not, maybe not perfect, but at the top of their game, yep. the movie fails. Yes. Yeah, it falls so, apart. You're like, yikes. Yep. So, yeah, it's good. So, that was, yeah, I, I mean, I had that on mine, too. Uh, we joked, but, man, can there be a better sign or like <laughs> you know the new we the new the new zealand tourism board oh my god must have been just like thank god for this movie because prior to this it's cool i imagine to go to new zealand but uh <laughs> after this it must have been like you want to come down to a lord of the rings tour mm-hmm. and it will show you around every cool place that it had in this movie yeah pre-covid because <laughs> It's true because you watch and you go, What an incredible! Who wouldn't want to go? Yeah. I want to go, yes, I still want to go. It'd be amazing, yeah, it'd be incredible. So, um, yeah, how is there one place that has all of this stuff? Exactly, apparently, there is, and it's New Zealand, yes, like, come go. on, gotta yeah. go. Because, and not only for the whole series, just this movie, you're in mountains, you know, um, yeah, the snow, lush green, right, arid, like. Right, they're Terrible almost like places. in um, Liv Tyler's character, um, Arwen. Arwen. She's, you know, she's riding through yes. pine trees yeah. or whatever. I was just like, you're you're everywhere. There's literally everything you need all in this one movie. Yes. <laughs> Come on, man. And just wait till the other one. Yes. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Those are the thoughts I had. 
in addition to at least like taking notes because after that like maybe halfway point i'm like i think i've i'm done <laughs> like they're this movie's so good well there's not much you can add to it right i'm just sure. saying like the, at this point what is it it's just fun to have a reaction i really do think though i understand why but uh, man i know grant major wins for production design for return of the king yes but Come the F on. I understand Moulin Rouge won yes. this particular year, which is really good. And the the production design oh, yeah. in Moulin Rouge is really yes. good. But really? Yes. Really? Yeah. If you think about Moulin Rouge, I'm not saying anyone could do it, right? But in the production designer world, there are many people who could do this. Yes. But when you see the complexity of all of the sets that were done there it does somewhat i remember back when return of the king came out and obviously we'll talk about that later but everyone knew if you were it was like all the oscar nominee uh, all voters all were categories. like we're just gonna we're yes. just gonna give it to them yes and it's almost like that with this because they're like they knew that it was all made at once and they knew that you know, well, Grant Major, he's obviously going to be up for each and every year that this is up because yep. it's a you know production design. So we're just going to give it to him at some point down the road, which I'm like, f you, man. Yeah, we love Moulin Rouge. Yes, but it does not hold a candle. No. The sets do not hold a candle to. No. They literally built freaking Hobbiton out yes. of a goddamn field. Yeah, a year oh. in advance. Right. I'm like, I'm sorry. Yes, this isn't a back lot of Universal Studios. You're in goddamn New Zealand. Yes. You're just like, <laughs> bring the bulldozer in. I create anything that, by the way, still exists. So great. This isn't like a set design thing that falls apart after a year. That yeah. damn place still exists yeah. for tourists to, like, architecturally yeah, speaking. You can go there. You, right? can go to, you can go to Hobbiton. Like, damn it. I totally, I had, actually, it's funny. That was yeah. the only one of all of them. I'm like, what? How what? does that, like, is it one for cinematography? um score visual makeup. effects and makeup totally right? makeup yes right all rightfully yes you know all 13 nominations were right the four wins were right and i understand how the oscars work yes. it's a vote you know that kind of stuff the only one that i found myself getting super mad about as we kept going was like freaking grant major how do you not win for this <laughs> yes. each and every year richard taylor won for all three years on the visual <laughs> effects but Grant Major, apparently, no. No, nope, we're not giving it to you. Yes, some Bullshit. of might be. But I, but I actually made a note of, like, I truly think this film did not win some of the categories. Oh, because like, of... Yeah. Adapted screenplay. Um, yeah, which... Yeah, that... Like, uh, but I did look up. It was A Beautiful Mind. It was an adapted screenplay. So, Akiva freaking Goldsman, <sighs> one of the worst screenwriters ever... Oh, he's so ever, terrible. ...gets it because it, it won Best Picture, and... We'll talk about it later. Yes. We both enjoy Beautiful Mind, but come the freak yes. on, man. But I truly, I agree because I think the Academy had some possible like unwritten understanding or like behind the scenes memo out to everybody is like, hey, this is so incredible, but unless they somehow screw the pooch the next two movies, right. in 2003, we're going to give them everything under the sun because it's so incredible. So just don't give them the stuff now. And right. these awards shouldn't come now because it, and that's some of the detriment to the film effort right. of let's do three together. Where you know you think of Godfather and Godfather Part Two, like they were never designed to be. Have you watched those yet? 
uh, a long time ago. <laughs> I hear they're overrated, but that's okay. Um, Eat a big bag of D's, man. <laughs> but uh, that came about where it's like, oh, like this is going to be separate. But knowing that these were going to be a totality of the experience, right. I can see them being, this is wait two more years mm-hmm. and we'll have them oh, win everything. for all of the Oscars flaws, yes. they knew it was coming. Yes. So I do agree to that point where it's like, really? Come on. All right, well, so we are going to move on then to our beer reaction segment that we call Drinking Buddies, the sequel. Let's get weird. We have been enjoying beer for quite some time, so our opinions on these (laughs) beers are, of course, ironclad, and if you don't like it, you can... Irrefutable, GTF, man. Right. So, what do you what? Take us through our Drinking Buddies for the night. We'll discuss the four. We had other beers. We'll just stick with the four. The four that we had. Malt beer. First off that we had was Thorn Street Brewing out of San Diego. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Their Thai Pina Colada Smoothie Sour. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, one, really quick, a smoothie, it ain't no smoothie. Mm-hmm. It's a sour, but the smoothie, well, like, was like... It wasn't as lactosey, but it was not a sour. It was in between. I didn't find it sour. I found, no, I found it to be a little bit sour, but not okay. like a smoothie where it's like chunks coming out. No, where, well, thank God. Yes. Right. We've, I'd have to yeah. like tip it over. But anyway, yeah. uh, for me, it was a 4.25. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a fantastic flavor of, uh, you know, it says here is with ripe pineapple, coconut milk, ginger, and kaffir lime. Did you say ripe pineapple? Yes, not the sour pineapple or spoiled, but yeah, ripe pineapple. Ripe. Yes. I think you said right. Like R I T E or like R I H T E. I was what? like, what? Yes. Yeah. It's uh anyway, so I loved it. It was really good. I don't know. Yeah. Is this pineapple good? I don't know. It's all right. It's it's all right. Um, it's I had a four two five as well. Yeah. I, I, I was like, oh yum. This is a because my problem with smoothie sours is I, I thought this had a nice balance, actually, yes. from a sour standpoint. It wasn't sour, it wasn't too meh on your tongue. Yes. So it was a nice balance, really good flavor. Yeah. Yeah, I had a four two five. Well, I remember the ones we had from um what was the one in Wisconsin from Eau Claire <laughs> Brewing Project. Yeah. Where yeah. it was like Chunks? chunk right. AF. Yep. Like, no, this was right. a nice clean one. So yeah. <laughs> it was good. And then we that was our first non-theme beer. And then we moved into our other theme options. Mm-hmm. Then we had from Bad Habit, their King's Brunch Imperial Pastry Stout. Mm-hmm. Second breakfast. What about uh, second breakfast? It was really good. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was a 4.25 for me. Mm-hmm. A great blend of vanilla and cinnamon that just, I was, honestly, I didn't think Bad Habit could make a pastry stout like this. Not that I didn't think they could. I was <laughs> Except su- for the fact that you've already had this pastry stout, but irrelevant. But I forgot it. Yeah, okay. I forgot go. it, truly. But it's really, really good. <laughs> it is good. Yes. I actually think I rated it last year, maybe four and a half. I think there was a little more cinnamon than what I like. Sure. Right. So, I, but I have four two five as well. It's a very well crafted beer. Really good. Um, I appreciate that they did crawlers. Yes. Uh, before last year, thanks pandemic, it was always in bottles and it was really hard to get. But last That's year, right. obviously, they always uh, did crawlers. So you know, it's really good. So it's a double theme one. Speaking of double theme, <laughs> bearded, and what's an iris? It's oh my god! Part of the eye. Uh, right. Of Sauron. I didn't think that when I bought it, but yeah. Me either, but until we watched it, I'm like, oh. Anyway. Lid this eye. Anyway. The bearded Iris. Bearded Iris out of Nashville. Mm-hmm. They're double home style, double IPA. Mm-hmm. This is really good. I really liked it, too. We both had a sip of like, like, hello. Deal. Yeah, Dina. Gina. 
it's really good. Uh, four point five. Yep. For me, look it's at us. Three out of tasty. three. Same oh, rating. Man, uh, twinsies. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but I like to. It's like an old school type of double IPA. Oh, I like, it I like was me some hazies. Huge bite to it. No. Oh, super smooth. Yeah. Oh my god, so it was you, great. You can find it, man. Check it out. It's, yep, it's top really ten. Chan Hansen. Then they're. Uh, <laughs> Or wherever it's available in your area. Yeah, whatever. Check down, tap, tap. Uh, Modern Times out of San Diego was our fourth one. Oh, here we go. Are we going to go for, for four? We'll see. Their Monsters Park Imperial Stout mm-hmm. aged in bourbon barrels with vanilla. Uh, 4.25. Madagascar vanilla even. Yes, 4.25. For Ooh, me. no. Well, we didn't go four for four. Wait. No, sorry. That's my notes. 4.5. Still didn't go. Oh, I had a 4.75. Oh, yeah. was not it? Wow. Yeah, I really like this. It's really good. It was really good. Like the barrel yep. aging was super subtle. Yep. Where you could taste it, but it wasn't a punch in the face. And the vanilla, perfect. perfect. The Madagascar not, vanilla, man. That's Madagascar. the only way to go. I really loved it. And full disclosure to listeners, I've had a few today. So <laughs> if I were to have an, if I were to have this beer tomorrow. Fully sober in the afternoon, maybe it drops. Maybe, Comma, I think but so. Really balanced flavor. It's really, really, good. yeah. I was like, and I do enjoy modern times. I'm, I'm always been a fan of theirs. Oh, yeah. So I think maybe that happened. I wrote down four seven five, and I'm damn well gonna stick with it. It's good. It's good. Hey, did I tell you I was there last week? <laughs> <laughs> I was there yeah. like two months ago. Oh, we're fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good. Good monster one to end on. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, really good beers for us, though. Not yeah. a single off beer no. or anything like that. Really it's, well done. It's been a great night. <laughs> it's been a good night. All right. Well, so that actually, do you have any other segments, anything pop up? I have a, I don't know if I said like a hot shot, but okay. I have a question for you. Okay. And I would put it under a hot shot type thing. Ooh, okay. But you're American. Yes from america has there been a bigger gamble on a movie than lord of the rings and peter jackson so let me kind of set the stage as you contemplate it it. sure so jackson's and the director jackson and a screenwriter uh, his credits prior to this Mm -hmm. were a small budget horror film dead alive Mm -hmm. a oscar nominated for screenplay screenplay yeah true crime murder movie yep heavenly creatures with early Kate Winslet mm-hmm. and a special effects driven bomb. Don't even call it a bomb. That financially, Damn I'm it. not. I I like the movie. I, I like Frighteners. Frighteners. I like it. Uh, it's it's well done. Fine. Yeah, Michael J. Fox. But think about that's his track record. Mm-hmm. And then New Line Cinema says, "Hey, mm-hmm. let's give you three hundred million dollars to mm-hmm. undertake something which is pretty much had never been done before, mm-hmm. and we're going to film back to back to back over sixteen months." And we're going to put all this faith and effort into a somewhat unproven talent mm-hmm. to steward one of the most recognizable fantasy books of all time. Mm-hmm. And it had been like, I think since, I mean, the Beatles tried to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they wanted to do it. Yep. Yeah. Others have tried to do it where it was like an animated movie, which sucks. Yeah. Like, but he said, no, I want to do three movies, split them up book by book by book. And has there been a bigger risk? From a unproven talent, we're going to put this effort into somebody that we don't know for sure, and the execution is this incredible. Mm-hmm. That's my question. No, absolutely not. Not especially not when you consider the 
the outcome of it. Yes. Like the reward. On, there's been huge risks in film history that have not paid off. Yes. But no, not not when they when not when you talk about like if you're talking about three hundred million dollars to make all three. And yeah. I said earlier the first one made nine hundred million yeah. worldwide. <laughs> the first one. Yeah. Made your money back. Right. You're good. <laughs> yeah. At this point. And yet somehow New Line is still out of business, I guess. So I, I don't know who ran that shit yeah, show. It didn't work out well. Um no, there is no there is no bigger gamble that paid off. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yes, exactly. Absolutely not. Like where they rolled the dice and said that's put our chips, not to use any other adage of gambling, onto the table. Like right. this is what we're gonna put and it totally paid off. No, there's just not. I can't even like I can you can list off big movies that maybe didn't work as well or whatever, but especially when you consider the the fact that nobody knew who Peter Jackson was no. at the time. Well not nobody. Most people didn't know Peter Jackson at the time. They knew ten percent of this cast. Yes. You know, I mean when you take all things in- included, we're gonna, we're gonna film, film in, in, New, in, New, in Zealand. New Zealand. Right. Which the, everyone's like, wait, what? Yeah. The you, filming the, center of the, the world. Where the Tasmanian devil's from? No, that's yes. not right either. Yeah. Like, nobody knows where that damn place was. <laughs> so, I agree. No, yes. there is no bigger... Yeah. No, there's, there's that's my thought. Not. Yep. All right. Well, unless I'm forgetting something, uh, we are coming to our final segment of the night, which uh, would be quiz show. The exciting quiz program, 21. Where we search for trivia surrounding our subject film and try to stump the other so that I can obviously throw in some embarrassing awesome. sound effects. Sound effects. I like it. I, I have, I do have a couple. I'm kind of curious where you went. It's always kind of fun to see where you and I go very different directions <laughs> yeah. off, oftentimes. Um, so, do you do you have a few? I have three. Okay, technically, I have three as well. So why don't you go first? Well, let's try it. Uh, so Sir Ian McKellen, yep, was not the original actor that Peter Jackson wanted for Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Um, what classic Scottish spy turned down the role of Gandalf? Sean Connery did, and I think it. Well, didn't he like not understand the, the screenplay? Script. Right, yes. he was like. I don't even want to break up my Sean Connery now, but you're just like, I <laughs> yeah. don't get it. Yeah. You're just like, it's not I, for me. <laughs> yeah. Like, Can you yes. believe that? Yeah, be like, yes. No. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Mish. oh, Mish Money. Peter, Panda. this is terrible. <laughs> you blew it. This is no, it's is no it she Is it Sheaf? <laughs> yeah. No, that would have been awful. I just think it would have been yeah. terrible. Like, thank God it didn't work out. And I like Sean Connery. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yes. it would should, would have been. Yes, Sean Connery is great, and but you can only see Sean Connery as Sean Connery, yes. right? You couldn't ever divest right. of who he is from this role, right? As Gandalf, and he, it, like Untouchables, he's amazing in it, yeah. but he, he, you know, but no, you it would have been awful, right? Thank God, awful. Yeah, uh, but I truly, <laughs> I love this trivia. Quick, like thing about yeah, you. I had never read that until the, like reading that this week. Yeah, all three of like, mine. What? I'm like, I never really never knew this before, and all yes. my times of watching it. Uh, and some really weird ones. So I'll start with an easy one. Okay. Because you know, oh, when you boy. think about it, it's easy. So J.R.R. Tolkien, the author, yes, died in 1973. Yet one of the principal actors had the fortune of meeting this legendary author. Which 
actor in this film had the chance to meet J.R.R. Tolkien. Right, it's got to be old. Um, yeah, it's not yeah, Elijah Wood. It's, it's, We're just going to throw out yeah, that. Exactly. Uh, it's got to be Christopher Lee. It is Christopher Lee. Yeah, like he's yeah. only... He also and, was a huge fan anyway. Like apparently he reads the book every year before right, he died. Yeah. yeah. So that had to make so sense. Christopher yeah. Lee actually did Christopher, meet Tolkien. Jeez. the only one on the entire cast that met. So. <laughs> do, you, do you think at like the craft services... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Every now and then they'd be like, hey, by the way, uh, have you met Christopher Lee? Or no, Christopher Lee's like, have you met Tolkien? No. Yeah. Guess what? I did. I did. Yeah. 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 <laughs> also, apparently he wanted he wanted the role of um Gandalf. Oh, that would've been that would have been awful, right? Not good. He's just too old this is for weird. it. Weird. Is this how I sound all the time? I yes. don't have my headphones on. You just took your headphones now, off. Yeah. But they're dead. Yeah. So I can't hear them anymore. Yeah. Oh, this is awful. Oh, God. Anyway, that's my one. That's my sound. Um so we're one for one. Of the main nine fellowship actors. Okay. Which is the tallest? Oh, damn you. I had the same oh, question. Oh, no. <laughs> I had the same question. John Reese Davies. Davies yeah. Who, by the way, I did call him yes. John Reese Myers earlier. And I, I apologize. Did, I, did, I didn't time. interrupt you in the beginning. Yeah. 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 John Reese Davies. How crazy is they cast the dwarf who's yeah. six foot one? one. Yeah. Who's <laughs> but, shortest? Oh gosh, that's a rude. <laughs> suck it. Um, one of the hobbits. Um, I say Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood. Yeah, he yes. was five foot six, and John Reese Davies <laughs> is six one. Six one. He was the only one of all of them over six feet. I, I looked them all up. I, I had me too because I'm like, no way. You didn't because. You did not look up Elijah. Yeah, Wood. they're they're pretty much five eleven. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should say everyone else is the other ones. About, right? Like, yeah. yeah, pretty much all male white people like five eleven. Yep. And then giant rice David. Oh, sorry. Okay, I guess we're no, doing one fine. each. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had a follow up question of who was the shortest. That's a good one. I knew that's, it. That's a good one. Uh, do you know where uh, Elijah you go Wood? With your last one. Do you know where Elijah Wood was born? Mm, no, in Iowa. Ugh, Cedar Rapids, I think. Ugh, or no wonder his eyes are yeah. weird. Anyway, crazy. He's got those weird eyes. He's got those Iowa crazy eyes. <laughs> Deep blue eyes. eyes. Oh, God, yeah. All right, so... Uh, you're, you're the last one since we crossed over Musician there. Enya. Uh-huh. And composer Howard Shore mm-hmm. were nominated for the final song, Into the West. No. May it be. Sorry. My notes were for the... Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Into the West is from Return of the King. Yeah. Right, yeah. May it be. Yep. Uh, but a few years before Lord of the Rings, Enya had actually been asked to score a movie, but declined. What 1997 multiple mm. Oscar-winning film, including Best Original Score, did Enya turn down? That's a great one. Well played, good sir. Thank you. 1997. Well, it won 98, but it came score. out in 97. Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Titanic? Yes. That's okay. right. Yeah. Cameron reached out to her and said, I want you to score my movie. And she's like, hard pass. Good. And that's what got Smart, Cameron um, and James Horner back together after Aliens. Because there's a falling yeah. out. Yes. Yep. But hmm. you think about the Titanic score, there's a lot of that kind of vocal oh, stuff absolutely. to it. And I, I had no idea until this week. I'm like, oh, we huh. know. Huh. Well played, sir. There you go. Nice. So I did not know this. And apparently it is common knowledge so you will we'll see but <laughs> we'll see we all know that oscar winners and nominees are everywhere in this film both for this film and others yes but there is a very brief moment when a young actor slash songwriter from new zealand pops up in the council of elrond scene what new zealand born oscar winner shows up 
in that scene. Shut up. Is Taika Watiti in there? No. Okay. Um, is it Brit? Uh, Speaking of Flight of the, the Concords, Concords, we talked about it. Brett McKenzie. He's in there? Yeah. Oh. And he looks like a dumbass, by the way. With no he's beard in the third or one. He, yeah, he is in there. And he's in The Hobbit, too, for different. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Brett McKenzie really? is in that scene off to the right or whatever. Yeah. Just hanging he's out. Just hanging out. Wow. There you go. Because he won for what, the Muppets or whatever? The Muppets, yeah. Yes. Am I Man or Muppet or whatever it is? Oh, that's good. That's good trivia. Mm-hmm. Although I did not know that when I had he was no in idea. There. I, I was like, what? Although and he looks when you see his picture, I'm like, bullshit, that is not Brett McKenzie because he doesn't have a beard, A. Sure. Because nobody uh, like no. outside of Gandalf has allowed a beard, apparently. Apparently. Uh, or humans. And Aragorn. All the elves don't have them. Yeah. So yeah, he looks really weird. But but it's a it's a definitely a f- small circle when you say an Oscar winning New Zealand. I know I was I was like, <laughs> but like how no be, way. How is obscure that? is it to just say what Oscar winning songwriter was in it? You're like really? Yeah, that's okay. the only one from New Zealand. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Well done. Uh, any other final thoughts on no. Lord of the Rings? It's so good. I if, again, like you said, if you've been living in Iraq and haven't watched right. this, or if it ain't your jam, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's so good, such a good movie. Yeah, I think for me, the fun of this, I, I, I was like the the fun of some of our other movies is seeing how they hold up. Yes, right after so long, some less than others. Yeah, uh, but for me, this was more about experiencing. It was fun to experience the memories, the remembering of seeing in the theater and talking about it and the emotions and how it holds up. We already know it holds up. Totally. But it's just fun to watch again and talk about it and then research things and find these weird, stupid trivia things afterwards. (laughs) Like, I didn't know this. So I love that part of it. Yes. So I'm really glad we watched it. Obviously, we would have anyway. Well, all right, then. So that actually brings us to the end of the episode. Um, This... As I get my notes out. Um, Yeah, stay tuned for our upcoming Happy Hour episode on a very different Best Picture nominee, Gosford Park. And be on the lookout towards the end of December for our end of the year Oscar special on the Best Picture winning A Beautiful Mind. And we'll also offer up our own personal Oscar picks. Lots to enjoy coming up. Also, if you're curious what 2022 holds in terms of movies we are discussing, head to our website for that list. Ooh. Live as of today. Uh, we want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and for clicking that like or subscribe button on, on your devices. Find us on Twitter at years underscore beers and on Facebook or head to 20yearsforbeers.com. This has been 20 Years for Beers. My name is Steve. I'm Tim. And thanks for listening. Thanks. To the bridge of Kazakh Doom. <laughs> they crammed in so much. Shove that Pulitzer Prize square up your ass. <laughs> <laughs>